Hello, and welcome back to the lunch table. I'm Sydney, and today I'm joined by Linnea and Alexia, and we're going to be getting our eyes opened, broadening our views towards people's experiences with the school system directly through the lens of either being in special ed or having a sibling in special ed. This was breakout room six if you attended the rally. Um, So let's just start by having you guys tell the listeners a bit about yourselves. Linnea, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, So hi, I'm Linnea. I'm a rising senior and I have dyslexia, dyscalculia, and ADD. I participate in a competitive extracurricular sport and play the flute in my spare time. Um, Sydney invited me today so I could talk about my experiences in special education system at my school and also so I can share my thoughts and point of view. Hi, um, my name is Alexia. I'm also going into my senior year of high school. I do songwriting and music as a hobby and I'm currently in a chamber and jazz ensemble at my school. And I'm kind of here today because this topic is really personal to me, not because I'm in special education myself, but I have a brother who has mild autism and he's in the program. So what I hope to do is not speak on his behalf, but rather speak with him and other people in the program. And yeah, just really looking forward to having a conversation about this topic and hearing different perspectives. Well, I'm really excited for this. So how about Linnea, you start and detail some of the ups and downs in your education so far, being that you're in special ed? Yeah, um, well, if I'm being honest, there haven't been many tangible ups to having learning disabilities in school. Uh, Downs, on the other hand, that's a different story. It's hard being that one kid in class who has to ask double the amount of questions because it feels like I'm either wasting their time or like I shouldn't be asking those questions. There's also like being pulled out of class to relearn a topic or staying after school to relearn one concept. It's hard to convey to my teachers why I don't understand things, which to them might seem simple and obvious. So when it comes to downs, it's just trying to tell and reach out to other people that it's different for me when it comes to learning and such. What was your experience as you entered the program? Well, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADD in first grade, which is the same time I started tutoring. So I got tutoring outside of school because I was learning to read very slowly than like slower than um, my peers. But I was then diagnosed with dyscalculia in third grade, but I didn't really get my 504 plan till fourth grade. And do you want to just clarify what a 504 is for people who don't know? Yeah, so a 504 is kind of like it's accommodations for people who have a harder time learning in school. Um, I got it because, well, I just needed those extra accommodations just for like, you know, extra testing time and stuff like that. That's really all it is, just getting a little bit of extra support when it comes to the schooling and stuff. And while I'm at it, there's also the IEP, um, which is a little bit more hands-on and stuff like that, and requires more more people to be more attentive to the students' needs. And actually, for the IEP, I did have my 504 for a couple of years, 
but I didn't get my IEP till the end of 10th grade. And Alexa, when were you sort of introduced to special ed and that sector of education? So basically, um, my brother, he got his IEP kind of sorted out going into kindergarten. Prior to that, he just had an ABA therapist, which stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. So essentially, they work on behavior and like communication and such. When he got his IEP, he was around five years old or so, and I was around 13 or 14 years old. And overall, for me and my family, we weren't 100% sure if the IEP would be effective enough for him since it was obviously something new to us and we were just getting into it. But overall, we thought it was a good start since it allowed us to kind of know what exactly he needed and how he could get support. Um, I would say overall, it's had a positive effect on him as a person and as a student. Going off of that, would you like to detail maybe some of the benefits that you have seen through the extra help that he receives with the program? Yeah, sure. So basically, prior to entering the program, he was mostly nonverbal and he struggled with eye contact and was kind of scared of other kids. But now that he's eight years old, we've seen there's like been a lot of improvement and he's grown so much. And that definitely has a lot to do with how the IEP plan has helped him. The IP itself is super helpful because as the name suggests, it's focused on the individual and caters to the specific things and needs. And Linnea, so for those of you who don't know, most students with an IEP have multiple meetings throughout the year to discuss sort of how they're progressing and sort of what additional needs are not being met or are being met. What um, sort of experiences do you have in shaping your own IEP? Like, do you get input or is it just adults designing it around you? When it comes to my IEP meetings, where all my teachers are there most of the time, so that they're, you know, they're all there, and then we basically just talk about how I've been in class or what changes need to be said and done and whatever. Um, when it comes to that, I usually have the opportunity to advocate for my own needs, um, so I can, you know, talk for myself when it comes to things that I want to see changed by my teachers and by myself. But like when it comes to changes and things that need to be revisited in terms of the IEP plan, I usually have a big say in that. So what does that detail? Like when you're asking, would you be asking for like more time on tests or is it more specific than that? It's usually, it is kind of like, you know, more time on tests and like maybe some extra help from teachers like right before class or whatever. Like one of the accommodations that I talked to my teachers about was one of them checking my agenda so that I would write down my homework and they would check it off. So honestly, there's like, there's some really basic accommodations like extra time on tests, a separate testing room. But for me, it kind of, when it comes to my teachers, it gets more specific, like in detail, like I need someone to check my agenda or having a teacher come up to me after or during class and saying, how are you doing? Like, do you need extra help or whatever? Because asking for extra help has always kind of been an issue for me, especially in a classroom setting while all of the other kids are progressing. So having a teacher coming and checking up on me has always, you know, kind of been part of the accommodations, but also that's just, you know, personal preference and stuff like that. Not every kid does that. 
but that's just kind of like an example of one of the things I have as an accommodation. So according to the National Center for Education Statistics, roughly 7.1 million American students are in special ed yearly. Would each of you like to touch on some of the myths or misconceptions that people often perceive about special ed, like the program itself, and of students in it? How about we start with you, Alexia? I feel like there's a misconception that the students in the program aren't capable of accomplishing great things. And like, not that it's explicitly said all the time, but I know that stigma surrounding students with special needs still exists. And that like, quote unquote, normal students think they're better than those in the program. In reality, I've come across so many talented and bright individuals that have some sort of learning disability. So I don't think they should be held to a lower standard just because they need some support. Lene, would you like to add on to that or talk about some different misconceptions? Yeah, actually kind of different, but I agree. One thing I think people need to know is that we're all individuals. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that we all fall under one label, when that's definitely not the case. (laughs) We are our own people, and we shouldn't be defined by what disabilities we have. The term special needs does not mean one thing. Some kids like me don't show it on the outside and can attend regular classes with only minimal extra support, while other kids may need more interventions and just overall a lot more help. So we're located in Washington, and right now our governor is saying that all public schools are to return online for at least the first month, I believe, of school. What are you sort of seeing as the biggest challenges with returning to remote learning? And then along with that, do you have any tips for students or um, someone trying to help other people learn in this situation? So kind of a tough one because everybody has their own experiences going into remote learning. Like some kids could have a complete breeze with it and then other kids might just have trouble with it like every day. Um, For me, it's been a lot easier to do remote learning most of the time um, because it's easier for me to take more time on assignments considering we only have school like four days a week or whatever, but they're usually in really short periods. So that gives me a lot more time at home and with my parents to go over work and get extra assignments done. Because usually in regular school, I would come home with a ton of assignments and it would take well it would take the average student roughly 15 minutes to complete it while it would take me usually roughly an hour and a half to do one assignment for one class so having this extra time has been a benefit for me Um, although communicating with teachers is a little bit more on the rough side because i'll admit it's hard to email your teacher especially for me emailing my teacher because I have to email them more than once every week. And I know it's totally fine if you need to email your teacher more than a couple times a week, but I still can't get past the fact that maybe I'm annoying them or I'm doing something wrong by emailing them that. But a tip I have to give other students is that it's totally fine to email them more than once. It's totally fine to ask as many questions as possible because this is a totally different learning atmosphere. It's not regular. It's not as hands-on as it used to be before. So you shouldn't feel any shame in having to ask questions even multiple times a week. 
Emailing is also kind of another issue for me is that it's slower and takes more time, but there isn't really a more direct way to communicate with teachers and stuff. But just communication, again, like everybody says, communication is key. For my brother personally, it's harder for him to learn from a home setting because it's just different from what he's used to and he likes routine. So even if there's like a minor change to it, he can get really upset about it. And it's just overall hard to adapt to new changes. For instance, when we switched to remote learning for the last school term, he had Zoom meetings with his class every day and he, he met with his speech therapist once a week, but he just had trouble focusing overall. And mainly because his classmates and his teacher are at a computer screen, but then there's a toy over there that he could be playing with. But overall, I really do agree with Linnea. And I just think a piece of advice could be to be patient and open-minded because I'm sure teachers are still figuring out strategies and activities they can relay to parents as to how they can keep students engaged and learning at home despite the obstacles. Right now, I guess we're going to sort of change over to the idea of peer coaching. So I know at both of your schools and mine, we have a peer coaching program, which is sort of students in gen ed or high cap have the ability to take a course where they're paired with a student in special ed and they go around during that period helping the student in whatever class they're in. Uh, with their work, communicating with teachers. I took the class and personally, it was hard for me to know sort of boundaries. So I guess that would have been something I would have liked more. But like you guys were saying, every kid is different. So it's sort of hard to put guidelines around, you know, only do this or, you know, let them do this. What do you guys sort of think on like the exposure of these programs, the idea behind it and the intent I can't say much about the peer coaching experience because I don't, like, I've never been in it. I've never been a peer coach, nor have I been a student who's received peer coaching. Although, if you're going to take the class, I think it's pretty important that you know that you're not coming into a class and that you should never generalize the student that you're working with. I don't know, like, how to describe it, but it's kind of like you shouldn't assume something about the student because they're all going to be individuals and they're all going to be learning a different way. So it's up to you and it's your job. It's why you're taking the class to adapt to the way the student learns. And definitely with this remote learning, I could see why that might be an issue because in person it proves it's different challenges, I guess, but being prepared to change how you help this student is really important. As for kind of like, I guess you'd say like the advertisement of this class of peer coaching, I feel like most students and maybe even sometimes schools treat it more like a filler class when it should be treated more as a, you want to do this, you want to help these students and you want to give them the opportunities that regular students have been given, you know, and not treat it like a filler class like, oh my gosh, I just have to get this credit or whatever, but actually having intent to want to help them and not generalizing them and giving them any less effort just because you want that credit. And Alexa, I know your brother's not yet in high school, but I know that they also have a program, I forget what they call it, um, but where they have high school students sort of mentoring some of the special ed students in a nearby elementary or middle school. I don't have any direct experience with it so I'm kind of in the same boat as Linnea but I just 
think that the concept overall of peer coaching, I think it's a nice thing because it gives students the opportunity and the chance to learn how to support their peers. But I definitely agree that it shouldn't be a filler class and it should also be advocated more in the sense that I wasn't even aware it was a program that was available to me until I looked through the entire course catalog. And I know students don't do that. It should just be given as an option more. Um, sort of switching topics again, in both of your experiences, how have teachers and or administration dealt with discrimination or slurs in regards to special ed imposed by other teachers and or students? Well, in my experiences, I haven't really told administration because it isn't too much of an issue for me. Well, to build on that, I know a lot of other kids get a lot more like harassment or comments towards them about, you know, who and how they are um, than I do because it's less obvious for me because outwardly you don't notice I have a disability or like a learning disability until you start talking to me or until you start realizing what I'm like in a uh, educational setting, I guess, if you will, but I've gotten several comments like, you know, why are you taking this class if you didn't do well in the other class or what have you gotten done when it's very clear that I'm struggling with a like a topic inside of the class. Again, I don't get outright bullied by other students for it, but it's the occasional comment that just makes it feel like my learning disability isn't valid and that I guess you could say to me, like, it seems like it's not real when comments like that are made towards me, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's almost, I mean, I wouldn't say more harsh, but I guess harsh in a different manner to where it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there isn't hard proof, but it still happens. And I think those are some of the things that like really get under your skin and start to like almost dig at you. Alexa, do you have any experiences or something that you want to talk about in that light? Yeah, kind of actually adding to that, I think there's a lot of implicit discrimination. Like it's not outwardly offensive, but like, again, what you both said, it gets under your skin and stuff. But another thing, I just think slurs are also way too common. A lot of our language is ableist and like so many people are unaware of it. From kids to high schoolers, I hear terms like retard and autistic thrown around in casual conversation like it means nothing, when in reality, using those terms out of context completely devalues and belittles those with actual learning disabilities. And from my experience, there hasn't really been anything done by teachers or administration to prevent this in a school setting. So I also think we should implement some way to teach students about how we can revise our language and use other words in place of the slurs. Linnea, this sort of goes back to something that you mentioned a bit earlier, but for a bit of context for those of you listening, our school district, and I believe a lot of districts in the state have moved to a seven period day at the secondary level because our school board raised our minimum credits from 21 to 24 so most of us are expected to go through a seven period day um what are your thoughts on that in regards to being at school longer having more classes which means more coursework i have a 
class, kind of like a filler class, like a study hall in my schedule. That means I still kind of run under the six period schedule. But for other kids who do have that extra class and have like classes full time for the whole entire day, I think we could have gone without it. I know they want us to get our credits done quicker, our credits done faster and better. But at the end of the day, we are all students that need this extra time at home. I mean, I know I mentioned it earlier that I take a lot of extra time on assignments. I really didn't need that time taken away from me. And I know a lot of other students probably didn't want that time taken away from them either because, you know, if they're going to if they're going to add on to our day, they might as well, you know, add a few more extra teacher resources that let them be more available or whatever because sometimes I would want to stay after school to get extra help because if I'm going to have this other period stacked on top of me I might as well have have my teachers have more availabilities but sometimes my teachers would say like sorry I'm not after school these days or just because there's a seventh period I'm not going to stay after school so yeah I think the just unnecessary extra time is kind of annoying even if the classes were made shorter and the schedule can be very overbearing for students and not everybody has an extra period like an extra free period like I do so having all those classes stacked on top of you can be just so stressful to try and handle especially if you're a student who takes like AP classes and stuff like that just having really just having that extra period is just I, I feel like it's unnecessary if I'm being honest. I mean, that made me even think that becomes a socioeconomic issue if a lot of kids ride the buses and the buses leave when the buses leave. And, you know, if you miss your bus, that could be a real big issue for some students that don't have other means of transportation. The next question is, if there were a couple things that you could see change in terms of students, teachers, administration or even curriculum, um, what are a couple changes that you would want to put in place, whether they be like policy or culture? Um, I kind of talked about this a bit earlier, but I think we could integrate some unit about special education possibly in like the health class because we've already integrated one about mental health. So I think including a portion about mental disabilities would be really helpful. And also in teachers, especially general education teachers, I feel like more involvement with special ed students overall would be a good change to see since we know that para-eds are in the classroom helping individual students out, but we could totally see more involvement from gen ed teachers. And I understand they have the entire, they have a bunch of other students to attend to, but Something we talked about in the last youth rally actually was that teachers could provide more support, but in a way that doesn't single them out, if that makes sense. And also in students, I'd like to see more compassion and willingness to learn how to support their peers with special needs better. I think you made a really good point. I just want to like go back and highlight when you talked about maybe having a special ed unit in health class. I think that would be so beneficial not just to the special ed population to see themselves represented, but also for everyone else to sort of, you know, learn more. I think we also saw this in the second podcast where we we're talking about more representation, is that representation doesn't only benefit the group that's now being represented, but the general population. Because when you can like humanize something and make it more personable, it is seen as such a higher regard 
than when you just see like a group as a group or a stereotype? Um, I think being taught the topic about special needs students and just kids who need extra help and health would be really good for us when it comes to representation. But another thing I wanted to talk about is that some kids who have special needs, me for example, or special education, not exactly special needs, but extra help, teachers should be more prepared to help kids like us. Uh, some of them are. I think I heard that teachers like are taught a little bit about that when they're getting their degrees and stuff like that. But I feel like the teachers that should know about it are AP teachers as well, because AP teachers especially should know that just because the general smart population of kids, if you will, are going to take AP classes, there's still going to be those extra students who do want to take it, because I did take um, two AP classes, and I'm not exactly sure if my teachers were prepared to help a kid like me. They did. They ended up pulling through and helping me out a lot at the end of the year, but I'm wondering if other kids have gotten that support. I think you both brought up something really good and the idea of representation. The last question today, how would you like representation to be about the community? Like what light do you want it to be seen? And I guess what are some ways that the like general population can help bring representation to the forefront? I think we could definitely, again, change how we talk about it, like maybe frame it in a more positive light instead of like, oh, this person, they're different, like stay away. Like, obviously that's not the case. So I think we could also have maybe a platform for more students with special needs or in just in the program in general to speak up about their experiences. Because I think something else we saw at the last youth rally was there was literally only three students in the breakout room. It's just a topic that um, I wish more students were interested in and also that more students in special education knew about, I guess, so they can speak about their own experiences and overall just inform others, I guess. I actually really agree with what Alexa had to say about that. I hope that other kids who are in a special education class know that there are opportunities like this to talk about it and to raise awareness because Sydney before you talked to me about this I didn't even know like talking about it was a thing I didn't even know representation could even be a possibility I thought I just always had to go through my education days suffering as that one kid you know or just not getting any representation not getting any help or not getting anybody to like sympathize like ever but after I learned about this group it has really kind of opened my eyes that people do care, but I want my fellow peers to know who may be in the special education group that they are represented and I want them to know that this is the thing that people care. And on top of that, I want it to be my number one goal, my number one hope is that it'll be normal. I want kids who are in special needs classes or just need extra help, I want that to be normal. Instead of treating them like, oh, he's that one kid or, they have this disability, so we have to group them in this way. Why can't we just be normal like everybody else? Why do we have to be grouped into the one thought, which is just we're incapable of learning and doing other stuff like everybody else? We are like everybody else. We just need a little bit of extra support, and that should be normalized. That should just be the end goal of just normalizing it and not making a big deal out of it.
Well, I really want to thank you both. This was really good getting to talk to you guys and hearing both of your perspectives, because I think what you both said, there needs to be more conversation and there needs to be more information surrounding the topic. For those of you listening, thank you for tuning in again. Please remember to follow us on Instagram at the root of our youth for updates, to ask questions or to join our team. On Spotify, At the Lunch Table, a podcast by The Root of Our Youth for our previous episodes. Um, And to subscribe to our newsletter, you can check the link on our Instagram. You can also check out our website, at therootofus.com, and on YouTube, also at The Root of Us, for rally content, personal stories, and more.